You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment, but we begin with breaking news out of Surrey tonight where fire crews are tackling a brush fire. Take a look. This video shot moments ago in Global One, the fire sparking just off Highway 1 and 152nd, just behind the North Surrey Auto Mall. The fire is sending smoke across the highway, creating a visual distraction for drivers. The fire crews are on scene, and we have calls into Surrey Fire for more information. But that's all we know at the moment. So far, no word yet on what sparked the, bar, the blaze. Also tonight, a series of suspicious brush fires on Heritage Mountain over the Thanksgiving long weekend are under investigation. Police believe the fires were man-made and likely linked, and that's raising some concerns among residents who live right next to that area. Julie Nolan is live with more on what we know about the location and timing of these fires. Julie? Yeah, the string of small fires near these homes are now a big concern for Port Moody police who have now stepped up patrols in the area. The three fires were each set on Saturday, Sunday and Monday between 9 and 11 a.m. close to Forest Parkway and Cliffwood Drive. Port Moody police say the fires appear connected and human caused. The fires were discovered quickly and put out right away. However, because of the tender dry conditions at the moment, Port Moody Police and Port Moody Fire Rescue are extremely concerned that even a small fire could escalate fast. Certainly very concerning right now, just given the, the extreme fire uh, risk uh, and just given how close uh, this, these fires have been to other structures and properties. The proximity to other houses is certainly really concerning. Uh, and I, I'm sure that the community at large is quite concerned. Again, we are asking folks uh, to be extra vigilant. Port Moody police say fires can be difficult to investigate, so they're looking to the public for any tips. Now, if you have any information on these fires, you're asked to call police, Crime Stoppers, or call 911 immediately. Back to you. All right, Julie, let's hope someone knows something. That's again Julie Nolan reporting in Port Moody. Thanks. And West Shore RCMP on Vancouver Island are investigating a suspicious fire in Langford. Police were called to a brush fire behind the 2800 block of Pete Road on Saturday night. Fire crews from Langford were already on scene putting out the flames on the north side of the walking trail. RCMP want to speak with anyone who was in the area at the time. Specifically, they're looking for two women in their 60s who were seen walking on the trail before firefighters arrived. If you were in that area or have any information about what happened there, please call West Shore RCMP. Controversy continues to rage around BC's so-called catch-and-release justice system. A Vancouver man with a long criminal history was granted bail despite the latest charge that he assaulted a young woman in a racially motivated attack downtown. Grace Key has the latest. Mohamed Majidpour is allowed back out on the streets of Vancouver. The 35-year-old appeared in community court where a publication ban was also issued. He was held in jail, charged with assault with a weapon in a September 27th stranger attack downtown. He's accused of hitting a 19-year-old Asian student with a pole and using a racial slur. Hey, do you mind if I, guys, if I sit with you guys? This guy's literally been following me in circles yes, for like 40 minutes. Majidpour was also accused of stalking Jamie Coots last year through Chinatown. She recorded the incident, eventually finding safety at a skateboard park. A charge of criminal harassment was stayed. 
Recent cases of stranger attacks and criticism of a judicial catch-and-release system has sparked debate. Justice and public safety ministers across Canada will be meeting in Halifax this week. The province saying we will be bringing forward our concerns and pushing for specific actions from the federal government. Adding recommendations from a repeat offender study is underway, including a repeat offender management program they say the Liberals ended. A 19-year-old young Asian student was smacked over the head with a pipe, for God's sakes. And this individual's back into the public already. He's already got over 30 criminal convictions uh, since 2015. This is exactly the kind of individual that you can look at this situation and say no, on the balance between the public interest and his own interest to, and his wanting to be free, we got to weigh in the interest of public safety. That ought to be the number one priority. And it isn't, and that drives me crazy, and it's going to change. Court records show Majidport has some 30 convictions spanning over a six-year period. They include assault, assault with a weapon, and property crimes. His bail conditions include reporting to a bail supervisor and support staff. He's not allowed to possess any weapons or have contact with the victim. His next court date is on November 15. Grace Key, Global News. A man is facing charges after three people were stabbed in Crab Park over the weekend. Dennis Slateholm was arrested early Saturday morning and faces aggravated assault and weapons charges. Two people who were injured in the Saturday stabbing spree managed to alert officers who were on routine patrol in the area at the time. In all, three men were sent to hospital. Police say they are well acquainted with the suspect. Slateholm was handed a four-year sentence for manslaughter after a stabbing in the downtown east side back in 2015. He has now been remanded in custody on a separate matter. The sentencing hearing has begun for the Dutch man found guilty of harassing and extorting BC teenager Amanda Todd. Today's hearing comes nearly 10 years to the day since Todd took her own life. Amina Dea reports. Justice on the brink of being delivered for Amanda Todd's family. Monday marked the 10th anniversary of the 15-year-old's death. We need to make sure there's, there's justice for Amanda so that the, the wheels are rolling for other countries, that they can, they can stop these predators and offenders also. Lead Crown Counsel Louise Kenworthy asking for a total sentence on all charges of 12 years in jail for 44-year-old Aidan Coben. Crown said Coben was behind 22 online aliases used to sexually blackmail Amanda from the tender age of 12. In August, a BC jury found the Dutch citizen guilty on all five counts, including extortion, possession of child pornography, and child luring. I never said thank you. Amanda's video of torment and pain viewed by millions on YouTube was played in court as part of sentencing. The Port Coquitlam team took her life in 2012. Amanda's father, Norm, three words into his victim impact statement when he crumpled in tears, telling the court of his profound sadness. Amanda's older brother, Christopher, also in tears in the gallery as his mom, Carol, read his statement about how much he misses his little sister. Carol said she never expected the last time she'd see her daughter, she'd be trying to breathe life back into her. Coben is currently serving an almost 11-year sentence in the Netherlands. He was convicted of 68 crimes in 2017, most of the offences against 
33 young female victims, some as young as 9 and 10 years old, said Crown. Any jail time handed down in Amanda's case would be served in the Netherlands, where a judge would convert the Canadian sentence into a Dutch one. It has to go through the court system in the Netherlands for conversion. If he doesn't get any prison time because of a conversion, that would upset me. Crown is asking for a consecutive sentence to be served after the Dutch time. Defence has yet to make submissions. The hearing continues Wednesday. A decision is expected by Justice Devlin by the end of the week. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, another person has come forward to share their experience of a close call on the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. This after a Squamish woman spoke with Global News about driving over that crossing when a metal beam nearly impaled her. As Kamal Karamali reports, this driver says something must be done to make things safer on that span. It's a route that's familiar to many, westbound on Highway 1 heading onto the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. But on this day in early August, something terrifying is about to happen to this driver. A rock the size of a fist flies towards the vehicle. If I had seen it, there's definitely no, no chance that I would have had any time to react. It, the rock, it missed my head by about... I don't know, four or five inches. Instead, hitting the sunroof and shattering the glass. The driver, Kenny Luong, feeling lucky to be uninjured. If it hit through here, it would have gone through the windshield and it would have probably hit me in the face. I was going at about 160, 170 kilometers an hour. Unsure of where the rock came from, his best guess, from a dump truck going in the opposite direction. Also pointing out all the other debris left on the road during his drive. At any point, a, a, a car can go over this debris and throw it up in the air again. And um, yeah, that's, a, that's the biggest fear. Luong's talking to us about his close call. I saw this beam just right through my window to my shoulder. Days after this mom experienced the scare of her life, a large steel beam piercing through her windshield, also on the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. It's a miracle that I'm alive and it and it's a miracle that no one else was hurt and this could have been this could have been so much worse. Police believe a northbound truck lost part of its load. We'd like to speak to the driver. We'd like to identify the driver. Both drivers struck by debris now speaking out about the dangers of that stretch of road and demanding trucks to do a better job of securing their loads. The Ministry of Transportation claims there's currently no issues with the bridge surface. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Health experts are warning us to expect a surge of flu cases, and that's why the province's flu shot campaign is launching today. However, it's not without some hiccups and confusion, especially when booking a COVID booster shot, too. So Richard Zussman has details that could help keep you healthy. He's going to get you a little bit of pain at the site of injection. This is the scene playing out in pharmacies across B.C. After taking any vaccinations, have you had any issues or anything like that? Never. Flu vaccine now here, work getting done to get shots in the arms of British Columbians. The last few years has brought awareness to the importance of getting vaccinated. For the first time ever, the eligibility has been expanded to include anyone over the age of six months, with a push to prioritize young children, pregnant women, the elderly, and people with certain medical conditions. Anyone immunocompromised uh, should really be thinking about getting their flu shot this year. 
The challenge for public health is the flu virus mutates every year. The protection of the vaccine wears off over time. New Zealand and Australia already went through flu season, seeing five-year highs in cases and hospitalizations, and cases are already growing rapidly in the United States. We haven't had a lot of flu the last two years, which will have, I think, um, an impact. There's less built-up immunity, and we've seen from the southern hemisphere in Australia and New Zealand that this will be a more difficult flu season, so all the more reason to get your flu shot and to get it early. For the first time ever, the province is using the Get Vaccinated software. So if you've received your COVID shot, you will get notification to get your flu shot, but you don't have to wait until you get that text. You can stop into a pharmacy at any time and get your shot. In some cases, people are going to be able to drop in like you. In other cases where there's, say, just one pharmacist giving the shot, uh, they may be more limited in that respect, but everyone's going to get a chance. It is that encouragement to book leading to frustration. Some people have been told by pharmacists they can't get an appointment or shot without an invite. Some of the pharmacies' websites, some of them say you can drop in, some of them say you can't, some of them say you need to wait for the invitation. So this is just going to lead to all sorts of confusion. The province hoping to clear up that confusion. Invites will come, but you can still walk into a pharmacy or family doctor, promising early bugs will be worked out, and anyone who wants a shot will get it, invitation or not. Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria. Well, the trial is wrapping up for a couple accused of racism in a coffee-throwing incident. It happened at a Steveston cafe and blew up into something much bigger. What the victims say about their search for justice in just over a minute. An explosion of jellyfish on the south coast where you can spot this eerie natural phenomenon later. And the remarkable career of actor Angela Lansbury, dead at the age of 96. That's still to come. Right now, though, two people charged with mischief in connection with an alleged racist incident at a coffee shop in Richmond last March are back in court today. Krista Dow is live with more on the story. It was an ugly incident, Krista. What's the latest on the court case? Well, Sophie, while well, the pair pleaded guilty to that mischief charge and admitted their role in the March 2021 uh, cup incident, they stopped short of taking full responsibility. And what the Crown says, they showed no remorse today in court. Now, the Crown is seeking a suspended sentence of 18 months for the two accused, Astrid Sakrev and Michelle or Eric Berthum, who are in their 70s. Now, conditions do include no contact with the victim, Nikki Tan, plus 100 hours of community service and an apology. Crown argued the offense was motivated by hate and ethnicity, arguing uncontested evidence showed the couple used racist language like F.U. Chinese. Back in March 2021, surveillance video showed the pair tried to dine in at a Richmond coffee shop and it ended with a man pouring the coffee on the ground and the woman throwing coffee at the victim. The couple, who are representing themselves in court, denied that version of events and argued the victim was lying. And during court today, they could be heard saying, quote, I don't care for Chinese people, and, quote, go back to China and take the virus with you. Now, Berthum did break down in court today and says he was sorry for throwing the cup and says he was impacted by the pandemic. Advocacy groups say they're hoping this serves as a teaching moment. Uh, first, that will uh, educate the suspects, let them know they did wrong. Second, that can educate people 
is those people who have some racism thoughts, let them know uh, racism slur is not a freedom speech. They shouldn't do that, and they shouldn't attack uh, people uh, by some racism reason. Uh, Sophie, the Crown also read part of the victim impact statements in which the victim, Nikki Tan, described the emotional toll this has had on her. And when they asked Akrev if she had a copy of that statement, she says, quote, it's BS. I don't want to read it. Now, that was just one of uh, several random outbursts during court today. Court will resume tomorrow with what we're going to be hearing from some of the community members and the impact this has had on them. All right, thanks for that update. Krista Dow in Richmond for us tonight. Well, the number of anti-Asian hate crimes reported in Vancouver is dropping year over year after that shocking 700% spike during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And although there is optimism in hard-hit Chinatown where seniors have been particularly victimized, police say many of the attacks that are being reported don't meet the criminal bar for hate crime charges. At Kamwai Dim Sum, William Liu says the seniors he serves are the cornerstone of the community. Throughout the past few years, for them to not be in Chinatown has taken such a huge toll on us. Liu is encouraged to see his regulars returning and more seniors on the streets, even socializing with their peers. I think they feel empowered by numbers. They'll ask, is it safe in Chinatown? Should I... Can I be out there? Vancouver saw anti-Asian hate crime incidents soar by 717% during COVID from 12 in 2019 to 98 in 2020. Last year, 63 incidents were reported, a 36% decrease year over year, but still a 425% spike since 2019. A lot of seniors who less safe. A lot of them were targeted based because of the age. So they're least able to protect themselves. Success chair Terry Young says up to 3,000 low-income seniors live in and around Chinatown, where reported hate crimes dropped from 14 in 2020 to 4 in 2021 and 4 in 2022 to date. These are only incidents with evidence to support the criminal code threshold for a hate crime. People here feel like they're being targeted. It may not meet the legal threshold or the criminal code threshold uh, to be proven as a hate crime in court. In February, hate graffiti was scrawled on the guardian lions at the Chinese Cultural Center. In May, a man was reported hurling racial slurs near Maine and Pender, while another man allegedly made racist comments to an 87-year-old and bear sprayed him in the face. Patrick Duncan is charged with assault with a weapon. In August, a woman is accused of kicking and spitting on people and yelling racial slurs at an Asian person outside the London pub. Lynn Phyllis Thompson is charged with assault. And upon conviction, it can be up to the courts to decide or determine whether or not a, a certain provision, a hate crime sentencing provision, should be imposed. While there's work to be done, merchants remain optimistic. Even if we're not, you know, back to where we were pre-pandemic, I think we are getting back there slowly. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Just ahead, the gentle nudge to get you to go to the polls. The main issue right now is getting the vote out. With the civic election just a few days away, how endorsements can help you decide. And later, why some Canadian women suffering the pain of endometriosis say they're being forced to fly overseas for treatment.
Good evening. Major delays at a very busy intersection here in Surrey. The traffic lights are out and the four-way stop procedure is in effect at, at uh, South Fraser Perimeter Road and 104th Avenue. As a result, traffic is absolutely gridlocked eastbound. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 17 in Surrey. The civic election campaigns are in the home stretch and in Surrey, mayoral candidates are facing a lot of questions about public safety and policing. It is a divisive and bitter issue among candidates and voters. Aaron MacArthur reports. Four years ago, the hot button issue in Surrey was the police force. Doug McCallum's return to office surprised more than a few people but he was clear. Moving ahead with a new municipal force was his first priority, and it was dealt with at his first council meeting. As this campaign enters the home stretch, policing is back on the agenda. The cost of the new service creating a prospect of a wedge issue for candidates. Despite voting for the transition initially, Brenda Locke has had issues with the transparency of the process, saying it's not too late to bring back the RCMP. The cost that we came up with, the $521 million for the, over the next four years, that's not our numbers. Those are our all publicly resourced numbers. A figure the Surrey Police Force says is overblown. Doug McCallum refused our invitation to comment on the police transition, but according to the city budget, the transition will cost in the ballpark of $63 million. Other candidates are left trying to fill the political middle ground on this issue. Gordy Hogue would like to see a referendum so residents can have a final say. This is an important decision and, it's, and we don't have the facts. We don't have the information yet. Ginny Sims is planning a three-month pause on the transition to study the financial details. And I'm not going to forejudge where it's going to go, but all the data will include how much it will cost, how much has been spent so far, how much is going to be spent to complete. While the colour of the uniform is being debated, the general public is asking for clarity. The perception of increasing levels of crime is something candidates are hearing on the doorstep. We have said that in the first 100 days, everyone will have a quick response and an appropriate response. Recent surveys suggest there is a great deal of dissatisfaction with City Hall in Surrey, much of that anger stemming from the ongoing debate and uncertain cost of policing. It could be. This is the issue that drives people to the polls on Saturday. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And another high-profile endorsement in Vancouver's hotly contested mayoral race. The Firefighters Union is throwing its support behind Kennedy Stewart, becoming the second union to officially endorse a candidate just days before people head to the polls. In Madagahi looks at whether the power and influence of unions will be enough to sway voters. The presumed frontrunners in Saturday's Vancouver municipal election now each have a major union endorsement. Police for Ken Sim and firefighters picking Kennedy Stewart. It's part of the way in which campaigns are being run. Stewart's firefighters union endorsement coming just days after an unprecedented move by the Vancouver Police Union, deciding to vouch for Sim and an ABC party majority. What really resonated with the board and as well as our members, uh, he is the one that actually did make an announcement about hiring uh, more officers. 
at the time, the decision raised some eyebrows. Never before had the police union publicly backed a candidate. The Vancouver police will arrest and remove any person who violates this court order. But experts believe with the upcoming election expected to be close, parties could be looking at any way to get an advantage. Municipal elections used to be fairly simple. You voted for your neighbors, you voted for your friends, you voted for the park board, uh, a guy that had the best lawn. This is how this used to be 40 years ago. Throughout the campaign, polling has put Stewart and Sim neck and neck. But the results of the most recent survey of undecided voters shows Sim may have gained momentum. Endorsements uh, have a way of really not moving the voters that much. For the many who may have already familiarized themselves with the exceptionally long list of candidates, endorsements may not be a deciding factor. Instead, they are usually seen as a way to reach and capture a voter who may already be leading towards one particular candidate. Imadagahi, Global News. Coming up on the news hour, the collapse of Hockey Canada. The organization finally bows to public pressure, rebuilding from the top down. And the agonizing pain of endometriosis and why many Canadian women are heading overseas for treatment. Traffic is easing off nicely over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge after a busy afternoon. Just some leftover volume on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve in Richmond. When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex insurance today. Tristy was sending Global One high above the Alex Fraser Bridge. Well, Hockey Canada's CEO and its entire board of directors have stepped down after intense pressure from a sexual abuse scandal. Changing the culture and restoring faith in the organization will take time, and Mike Drolet has more on what lies ahead. Under withering pressure from grassroots organizations all the way up to the Prime Minister's office, Hockey Canada found itself with few allies and fewer options. So the entire board, including CEO Scott Smith, resigned. Starting today, we're going to work with the organization to rebuild it and to make sure that the, the new leadership uh, is going to have the same motivation that we have. The news was met with relief by the mayors of Halifax and Moncton, who as co-hosts of the World Juniors in December, were excited to host a hockey tournament, not field questions about Hockey Canada's mishandling and cover-up of an alleged sexual assault that occurred in 2018. We're planning to host the World Juniors. We haven't pulled out. We don't intend to pull out. We wanted to see meaningful change. We've seen meaningful change. The national governing body for the sport has been under intense scrutiny since first appearing before a House of Commons committee in June. As recently as last week, Hockey Canada had dug in its heels, with interim chair Andrea Skinner going so far as to question how hockey could continue without them. Will the lights stay on on the rink? I don't know. The reaction to Skinner's comments was swift. One after another, provincial hockey federations stepped away. And the sponsor exodus saw major brands officially pull their support. The Ontario Hockey Federation released a statement saying it cannot be understated that trust needs to be rebuilt with Canadians on and off the ice. Brands like Hockey Canada are not who Hockey Canada says they are. It's who we as consumers, who we as the people who play the game say they are. A new board will be elected in December, which will in turn appoint a new CEO who will have his or her hands full. Sports management expert Ann Pegararo says it could take years to rebuild the brand, which is secondary to addressing the toxic culture that permeates within the sport. 
you know, we spend a lot of time teaching young women how not to put themselves into harmful situations. I think it's starting time we start teaching young men how not to do harm and build that from the beginning. The culture of hockey needs significant change. There's only one place to start at the grassroots. Mike Trollet, Global News, Toronto. Well, endometriosis can be unbearable and debilitating, affecting between 2 and 10% of women during their childbearing years. Many may not even know they have it, and for some of those who do, finding treatment can mean leaving the country and paying privately. Kylie Stanton has more in this Global News investigation. My scans. A decade worth of reports, documents, and referrals, but no answers. The only thing Angela Mock knew for certain something was wrong. It felt like someone was constantly stabbing me from the inside out. The pain so debilitating by the year 2020, it had left the mother of three bedridden for days on end. I was in a, the most pain I've ever been in in my entire life. But it took an MRI privately paid for to determine her pelvic organs were riddled with endometriosis, a condition where endometrial-like tissue lives outside the uterus and can attach to other organs. It's linked to infertility and painful menstrual periods. Mock's body so ravaged by the disease, the only treatment offered, a colectomy and an irreversible colostomy bag. I said, what would you do if you were me? She said, if, I, if you were my daughter, I'd tell you to go look elsewhere. Global News spoke with 22 patients from across the country about their experience with endometriosis. One said they had surgery in India, another in Greece, while 12 traveled to Bucharest, citing limited care and long wait lists in Canada. The average treatment cost, including flights and accommodation, was more than $15,000 out of pocket. The Bucharest Endometriosis Centre says it treats nearly 100 Canadians every year. And in 2021, Mock was one of them. I know it sounds dramatic, but he literally saved my life. Dr. Gabriel, Dr. Gabriel Matroy removed more than 30 different masses from Mock's kidneys, bladder, ovaries, and bowel. When somebody says, I'm experiencing disproportionate pain during my period, and you only have that person's word to go on, there, of course, are going to be people who doubt that. Believing the patient is one element, and proper diagnosis is another. I'm the medical director of the BC Women's Centre for Pelvic Pain and Endometriosis. Dr. Catherine Allaire says work is being done to increase patients' access to surgical experts, but warns surgery isn't always the answer. I feel that um, there might be some concerns with just jumping to surgery as the, the magic bullet for this condition. There's always a chance endometriosis can return after surgery, but for many patients, that's a risk they're willing to take. It could happen, but if it, if it does, um, I will be on the next flight to Romania again. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, a coastal invasion. Right away, I was super confused and had no clue what was going on. The natural phenomenon that has people flocking to Indian Arm for a peak. And a new record for BC Parks. Seems like a lot of people were itching to enjoy the great outdoors.
Busy summer for BC parks with more than 300,000 reservations made this season. Campsites, day passes, backcountry permits and picnic shelters requiring reservations all summer and the province set a new record. Activity was up by almost 30% compared to 2019. That comes after the new BC Parks Reservation Service was introduced. BC Parks is investing over $20 million to expand outdoor recreation following a 200% increase in demand over just the last decade. And I wouldn't be surprised if the demand is still there because of those record-setting temperatures we keep having, Yvonne. Yeah, summer continues, and this is why we've had this ridge of high pressure. It's been very strong across the board. Uh, unofficial numbers, but just to give you a sample of some of the spots through the day today, Lytton getting up to 23.6. Old record of 20.9 was set back in 2006. Nelson, even towards Lillooet and Vernon, all included within that. It is going to warm up once again in the coming days and anticipate that as we get in towards the weekend as well. Beautiful sunset this evening overlooking the water from a wall center hotel camera overnight tonight and leading in towards the morning hours. We do have some fog patches in the mix. Do keep that in mind. It'll be a touch cooler as we dip down to eight degrees and then warming up through the day with that sunshine 18 away from the water getting up to 21 degrees. Ridge of high pressure continues to be the big weather story. It'll strengthen once again as we get in towards the latter half of the weekend. Some temperatures will be into the upper 20s and we'll see a brief break on Monday and then it rebounds once again leading in towards our Tuesday. A reminder though, we're sitting at a level five. That's the highest for our drought level. And we're also sitting at high to extreme for the fire danger rating. This is the latest. We can see those areas in high. That's indicated in orange and a few spots still in red. And that includes the northeastern corner. So please be very diligent in the coming days. We've got no significant rain in the forecast. Now the northern half of the province along the coast, 15 as the high. Central interior with that sunshine in the mix will bump up to 17. Much of the southern half will be into the low 20s and along the south coast. Fog patches in the morning, followed by sunshine through the afternoon, still warming up in the coming days. In towards the weekend, notice on Saturday, away from the water, getting up to 25 degrees. All right, a beautiful shot. This one from tonight's Central Windows weather window from Quadra Island, and Adam captured this from Rebecca Spit Marine Provincial Park. Guys? Adam, you knocked it out of the park with that one tonight. Mm. Thanks, Water's Yvonne. beautiful. All right, the entertainment world is marking a major loss tonight. My name is Jessica Fletcher. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I... Angela Lansbury has passed away at the age of 96, probably best known for her role on the TV series Murder, She Wrote. But she played hundreds of characters on stage and film in a nearly eight-decade career. Lansbury received her first Golden Globe Award and two Oscar nominations for her portrayal as working-class singer Sybil Vane in the picture of Dorian Gray in 1945. She was also a Broadway star and earned her first of five Tony Awards as the lead character in the musical Mame. Angela Lansbury would have turned 97 this weekend. Another great one gone, no doubt about it. All right, we're going to check in with Squire here. It's coming up a little later with sports. Squire, what you got? Well, we'll talk Canucks because, of course, the season starts tomorrow in Edmonton, and it looks like Brock Besser will start the season on time. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's feeling pretty good, and, uh, you know, it's good enough to play. He's gotten over his hand surgery. As you just heard, he says he's ready to go tomorrow. Cool. All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up, marine life in full bloom. What it's like to be surrounded by thousands of jellyfish.
the year for sure. Last what year? year What's going to happen this year? Last year we said there's always next year. So now it's next year. So this is the year, right? Well, actually, you know what? Last year is this year because the season ended like in the spring. I'm confused by time. Okay. That's what I know what you're saying. I mean, time in sports, in a sports, a year is, you know, just the off season. And then even though it's the same calendar year, it's I don't next year. You've you know lost me. <laughs> Crickets. Yes. Thank you, Justin. You know what? There's probably one person out there who really appreciated that. <laughs> the uh, Canucks are 24 hours away from starting the regular season in Edmonton, which actually begins a five-game road trip for Vancouver. That's actually close to what happened last year. The Canucks started with a six-game road trip. But they should have a couple of their key guys with them. Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser will be in Edmonton. Barring anything unforeseen, they should be out there against the Oilers tomorrow night. I feel pretty good out there. I feel like I'm stick handling well and, and passing the puck well and shooting the puck pretty well. And, you know, it doesn't hurt when I take one timer. So, um, like I said, it's, uh, it's good enough to go. If it's good enough for Brock Besser, it is more than good enough for a Canucks team that's expecting a productive season from a player that only put up 46 points in 71 games last season. Besser is ready to go even though he didn't play a single exhibition game after suffering a wrist injury in training camp that required surgery. Yeah, it was kind of a weird, fluky injury. I just had the puck. I was trying to cycle it uh, to Millsy, and someone kind of hit my arm and wrist in a weird direction. I felt it snap or pop, whatever you want to say. So um, it's pretty frustrating, but um, I'm just glad that I can be back for the first time. Um, you know, I've been working my ass off in practices and everything to, to get to this point, and um, you know, I, I feel that I can be better for our team, and uh, I'm really excited to get the season going tomorrow. Same can be said of Quinn Hughes, who hadn't skated since Friday. Hughes was under the weather all weekend, so to have both him and Brock Besser back for the season opener in Edmonton on Wednesday is just what the doctor ordered. Definitely through camp, the uh, main message was, was trying to have a good camp so we'd be ready for the season. And um, I mean, obviously we finished off really strong, but the runway wasn't big enough. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, there's a huge importance of trying to start the season strong. And so it's definitely on all of our minds, you know, especially this first road trip. Um, we need to get as many points as we can. Stumbling out of the gate just can't happen again for the Canucks, and that's not lost on anyone. Vancouver won an impressive 32-15-10 under Bruce Boudreau to make a late-season surge that fell six points short of the playoff bar. When early and often, the playoff picture changes dramatically. I, I don't even have to give that message. They know what happened last year. Everybody that was here knows that what happened. Everybody that watches our games knows what happened. So, I mean, I think uh, the message is let's be just go out there and be as good as we can be and let's see where the what happens after that there is the Vezina trophy winner from last year best goalie in the nhl last season igor shesterkin taking on tampa bay this is a regular season game you're watching that's nick paul getting stopped initially first goal of the season for the rangers mika zibanejad and it's a nice one down the right side with the move Backhand, goal, shorthanded, no less. one nothing for New York. Uh, power play, two-man advantage here. Steven Stamkos makes it 1-1, but Sabanajad has scored again, and the Rangers lead this now 2-1 in the third period. Well, Nathan Rourke, of course, had an incredible season until he injured his foot. So maybe it stands to reason he can have an incredible recovery as well. The Lions were not the same the moment Nathan Rourke was not the same. But the Lions did hold out hope the moment the injury happened 
I seem to be using the word moment a lot, to his right foot that it could heal up in time for the playoffs. And judging by this footage from practice today, maybe that hope was not unfounded. Not just wishful thinking, because do you notice something on Nathan Rourke that's missing? No walking boot. He's standing on both feet. Not just standing, he's able to throw. Of course, we don't see him running at all, and I'm guessing it's not at a point where large men could fall on him safely, but this is a lot more encouraging, and not to denigrate the quarterbacks who filled in for Rourke since he got hurt, and there's been three of them, but the Lions need number 12 to have any hope of winning in the playoffs. Speaking of playoffs and winning, the Mariners, of course, broke the hearts of Blue Jays fans with that huge comeback in Game 2 on Saturday. Well, Game 1 against the Astros today, Julio Rodriguez doubles in a couple of runs, 3-0 Mariners. It was 4-0, now it's 6-3. Ejuenio Suarez, solo homer, now it's 7-3. Looks like the Mariners might win this one. Uh-oh. Two-run homer for Alex Bregman, now at 7-5. Are the Mariners going to taste the same medicine the Blue Jays tasted? Two out, bottom of the ninth. That's a three-run homer. And Houston wins. Jordan Alvarez off Robbie Ray, who they put in as a reliever, and he gives up the three-run blast, and that's a walk-off. So Seattle blows a lead. So I'm sure there's some Blue Jay fans out there who are kind of snickering right now, but... There's Mariner fans who wow. can't believe what just happened. Heartbreak. Down one nothing in the series. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, what's in bloom at Indian Arm that's drawing the crowds? This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong is on the late desk tonight, standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, we will have an update on the woman we showed you last night inside a broken-into business, carefully placing items into her shopping tote. Plus, the elaborate disguise that didn't work. Hear about the man who's banned from riding BC ferries, but went to great lengths to sneak aboard anyway. A wig and fake accent were involved. Also, a meter-long python is on the loose in Oak Bay. How it escaped and where it was last spotted. At 11, Chris. As long as it's not under my desk, that's fine. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Jordan. It's not. <laughs> it's not, right? Don't worry, I'll protect you. <laughs> Outdoor photographers are flocking to the docks in Indian Arm to capture some incredible underwater images. As Jay Durant shows us on This is BC, it's a massive moon jellyfish bloom, and the cause remains a mystery. Not light coming all the way down here. Something special's happening in the water that has outdoor cinematographers racing to this dock just off Deep Cove. <laughs> I called my friend, they were out on the boat. And I was like, you guys need to come over here. This is insane right now. So right away, you can see all of the jellyfish. A moon jellyfish like a bloom unlike anything they've ever seen. All of a sudden, you're in this amphitheater of floating jellyfish just pulsating. Some are going up, some are going down. They're just all over you, everywhere you look. You're basically swimming through this jellyfish, and they're bouncing off your face, and there's be times where you can't actually, like, move through them because they're so thick. Good thing these jellies don't have much of a sting because there are thousands in these waters right now. This warm weather may have something to do with the bloom. Jellyfish reproduction is often driven by changes um, of temperature in the water. This one looks quite a bit bigger than what I've seen in many, many years, so it was pretty incredible. 
These outdoor photographers have traveled all over the world, capturing all kinds of incredible images. Such a rare opportunity to make a short drive for an experience they'll never forget. I've seen some cool things. I've swam with whales. I've skydived over the Blue Hole in Belize. But to have this in our backyard is just insane. This is why Vancouver, BC, you know, Canada is such an absolute, you know, paradise country because you have all of this absolutely amazing wildlife so close to where people live. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. That, that story evoked memories of a certain Friends episode that <laughs> yes. we can't talk about on a family, <laughs> on a family show. Nope, not on TV. But yeah, it would be a good safety tip. Yeah, it's, yeah how to yep. treat yeah. a jellyfish. Well, just go back and watch, rewatch the Friends episodes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final word on the weather, Yvonne. Uh, some fog overnight tonight. We're back into some sunshine through the day. It warms up in the coming days, even approaching the weekend so far away from the water on Saturday, up to 25. Summer continues. It sure does. Okay, thanks a lot, Yvonne, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.